this fucking guy. Get the no, fuck out! Fuck the Bensonhurst Italians with their pomaded hair, their nylon warm-up suits, their St. Anthony medallions, swinging their Jason Giambi, Louis Vuitton slugger, baseball bats, trying to audition for the Sopranos. Get the Fuck the Upper East Side wives with their Hermes scarves and their $50 Balducci artichoke. Overfed faces getting pulled and lifted and stretched all taut and shiny. You're not fooling anybody, sweetheart. Taxi! Fuck the Uptown Brothers. They never pass the ball. They don't want to play defense. They take five steps on every layup to the hoop, and then they want to turn around and blame everything on the white man. Slavery ended 137 years ago. Move the fuck on. Fuck the corrupt cops with their anus-violating plungers and their 41 shots standing behind a blue wall of silence. You betray our trust. Fuck the priests who put their hands down some innocent child's pants. Fuck the church that protects them, delivering us into evil. And while you're at it, fuck JC. He got off easy. A day on the cross, a weekend in hell, and all the hallelujahs of the legioned angels for eternity. Try seven years in fucking Otisville, Jay. Fuck Osama bin Laden, Al-Qaeda, and backward-ass, cave-dwelling, fundamentalist assholes everywhere. On the names of innocent thousands murdered, I pray you spend the rest of eternity with your 72 cores roasting in a jet fuel fire in hell. You towel-headed camel jockeys can kiss my royal Irish ass. Hello and welcome to this extraordinary edition of the Get Your Film Fix podcast. I am Lee Carlo, back with Jabin Hemingway and Jeremy Fisk. It is good to see you guys after my yeah. long absence. I know <clears throat> How you guys you brought it up. I've been through a lot. How you um, feeling? I, yeah, I thought I'd touch on on that a little bit. Um, first, I want to say the butt plug came very highly recommended. Now, I, I five won't stars be, on Amazon. I won't be patronizing that proprietor anymore. Yeah. Um, you know, it's obviously. I think that kind of thing only really needs to happen once before you go find someplace else to shop. <laughs> Yeah, you don't um, get a se- <laughs> you don't get a second uh, chance on that. You can hear the thunder. I'm sure our audience can hear. It. Lee and I are in Salem, Mass, and it is yeah, it's a crazy storm out there. Um, I did want to bring this up though. Mm-hmm. You know, with I missed two podcasts. Yeah. Um, I apologize for that. Um, a few personal things and then vacation, but um, you know, Jeremy you go through stretches where you miss a bunch and yes. we just say you're working. We don't talk about the butt plug issues that you're having. I never had one. I, I all my butt plugs have worked fine. Right. But there's the other thing that you, I don't want to bring it up because it's even more embarrassing. Uh, I can't imagine it's more embarrassing, but we're, we're open. Like, my point last week was like, we're not shaming anyone. No. And your cock ring issues are, are your issues. And yeah, the fact that they can take months before you can come back on the podcast sometimes. But that's only because, like, it's sort of a procedure, unlike the... I suppose the, that's true. The butt plug, which you can just kind of get, at, uh, you know, off the shelf. Right. Yeah, that's true. That's a good point. All right. Um, that being said, moving on reviewing? to uh movie we'll be see, uh, discussing this week, The 25th Hour, directed by Spike Lee. Made in 2002. Uh, we're doing this movie in honor of the late Tony Saragusa. Um, and, uh, <laughs> it's just it's the, 25th hour, Lee. There's no the. 
Um, it's also the 20th anniversary of this movie's release. Um, and I don't. I actually have no real idea how you guys feel about this movie going into this rewatch. Um, so I'd be curious to hear about that, obviously, as well as your opinions now. But I want to start um, with a question or a topic that's, that is super pretentious and very film schooly, but I think kind of applies to here. this, to this movie nicely. And, and my take on it, I think may be a little bit, um, polarizing. So I'm curious about you guys' thoughts on, on 25th hour, not just as a New York movie, but the whole city as a character, thing that Mm. you know is like i said you hear it in film class because it's a you know quote-unquote intelligent thing to say and this movie certainly is trying to establish the city as a character and i want to know what you guys think about that as a whole and that aspect of this movie (coughs) one of the first movies post 9-11 to really feature the city uh in the way that it does um you even have the opening credits with you know the lights of the twin tower shooting up in the sky before the um, the Freedom Tower was built. So, um, yeah, I'm just curious what you guys think about that with this movie. Well, I can kind of predict, based on your tone, what you think about it. Um, you know, you're saying trying to feature the city. I mean, this story doesn't work without the city as a character. I mean, whether you think it's successful or not, I guess we'll, we'll have have that debate because I, I certainly thought it was successful in that, that end of things. Um, but it's such a unique movie in that it was released. What? Like a A year year after nine 11 happened. Um, uh, this was released. Yeah. 2002, 14 months. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah. 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 January of 2003, it was released. So, uh, so there's no like not only is it taught like it'd be one thing if you you made this movie now and uh the event wasn't you know you know it was 20 years old and you're still you know you're not processing it like you were literally 14 months later when you sure right when you make this movie when he did it's it's impossible to ignore the New York of it all and I'll just I'll stop there I'm kind of curious what Chapin has to say and I'm curious what you have to say and we'll go from there but it's impossible to ignore the New York of it all what do you think it's it's definitely my one of my favorite parts of the movie and what I remember most about the film um and we've actually like done some writing work in my job where I've never really made anything that referenced this stuff, but I've like said it to people to like, like the rant about New York. And, um, there's of course that connects back to a little bit back to the, um, the wider kind of Monty's life. If he were to sort of escape and drive off that, that montage that's narrated by Brian Cox. And, um, at the end of it, you connect back to that. Fuck you rant. Um, I really like that stuff. I think it's like classic Spike Lee. Um, it's sort of the most memorable part of the movie. And never really thought about it until this viewing, but it doesn't really connect that much to 
the story. It's not really well, about. It's not talk really about. about I, I would love exactly to talk where, about that. I would, I would love what to I was talk. Curious what you'd say because that's and how I I'll feel. Just give I think you an that's example. the issue. I mean, I, I like look. I think I think there are some things that jump back and forth, but like, I, I just to think a very specific uh, example in one of in in that particular rant in the from the bathroom when Monty says "fuck you" to everybody. He's talking about the Russian gangsters who we eventually like find out he works for or is associated with. And <clears throat> I think that scene feels very authentic at the, uh, the rant that is and the montage feels very authentic and um, sort of, you know, uniquely New York. Um, and at the same time, but then you go into that scene later where, uh, the goose is revealed to be the guy who ratted on him and you meet, really meet the the Russian gangsters in substance and it's one of the worst scenes in the movie in my opinion like it's it's totally play like those guys are com- completely one dimensional um Character it's just a bad case. scene and like i don't it, it it sort of seems out of nowhere um and so i think like there is that issue and it happens a couple different times where you've got this like really authentic feeling like four minute montage and then when you when the film tries to connect those things back to Monty's storyline doesn't quite work as well so that was that's my feeling and actually Jeremy like yeah I guess the better question would have been how do you guys feel about the city in relation to the story here, because I agree with you that's in the complete, sense that that's a completely different. Yeah. Question. I agree with you in the sense that the city that. is captured like really well throughout this entire movie. And there are moments where they reference, you know, different aspects of the city, different people, different cultures, so on and so forth. But how that relates to the story, it's just, I, I didn't All right, let's, see it. Let's I don't... break it down. Let's break it down to its simplest terms. So, Monty, played by Edward Norton, is a guy that's basically uh, been sentenced to nine years in prison for a drug seven. dealing. Seven. Oh, seven years. All right. Even Jeremy better. figures he's going to get in some get, trouble. Get out. And get no, a couple get out. Years <laughs> get out with good behavior. Um, and it's his sort of last night at. Uh, as a free man and he wants to go and celebrate how in your opinion how does that connect to post 9-11 america in 2000 and all right late 2002 early 2003 like that's that's sort of where what we have to work through here and i mean it's i think it's yes i i agree with that and i i don't think it's necessary like i'm i'm happy Obviously, the 9-11 element was not a part of the script initially or the book. And they decided to work it in. Spike Lee did. And I think that's really smart. It, 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 it makes for a much more interesting movie. Um, I read Lee's question, question. I read Lee's question more as like the New York element. And while I think that includes 9-11, um, I don't think those things are necessarily exactly the same. Like right, you, you could can't have made ignore the same you movie. can't ignore the nine eleven part of this. What I'm saying is like it's such a raw wound at this point in our country. The nine eleven part's almost bigger than the New York part. Sure, but my point is that like I feel like this movie could have taken place in any city, and I don't feel like nine eleven has anything to do with what's happening in the movie. And that's a different argument, sure. I think if you want to if you want to 
ensconce a city like New York into your movie, it needs to be more a part of this than just the uh, a monologue that Ed Norton has, you know, calling out all the different people in the city. It has to be more than a bunch of conversations, whether it's between Barry Pepper and Philip Seymour Hoffman talking about the Twin Towers or uh, Norton and his father, James, played by Brian Cox, talking about the firefighters that died. Like, it has, it has, none of that really has a lot to do with Monty's last night and his relationships and what's going to happen to them and his trust of people and how he's changed and how this will change him. That's an entirely separate story. And right. I think that does it part, add a layer to it, though? Well, it might. Does it add a layer think, in tone that sort of encapsulates what you want? And I know it's not like thematic. A, it doesn't thematically. And, and I was hoping you guys could answer that. I was hoping this podcast, you guys would be like, well, the reason they did it this way was because this is how it ties into 9-11 and New York and all this. And I, ho- I was hoping you guys could explain it to me. But I guess that is the, the part I mean, we're all wrestling with. But tonally... And how this movie makes you feel, there's definitely some sort of lifeblood there between New York, 9-11, and this story. I never felt like it was out of place. I just never was able to articulate the um, the the way that it came together. Well, here's a thought. And, you know, maybe I'm you know, dismissing my own, my own opinion of this movie, but you know, sometimes this podcast has the power to do that. So there's a, there's an, there's an ominous quality to this movie for sure. The, the way it's shot, I think this is one of Spike Lee's best looking movies. Rodrigo Prieto shot it. It's one of Terrence Blanchard's best scores. Oh, the score um, is so good. It's, it's real, and it's really, really ominous. And there's this feeling of, something terrible has happened to our main character and we don't know what the future holds for him. And you can like make that, that connection like to nine 11. Okay. Now that seems very simple, but maybe that's something, maybe there's even more deeper to that. Part of the problem I have with it is that that aspect, the, the New York nine 11, you know, and then, that's kind of a microcosm of a lot of what goes on in this movie as a whole, I find to be really self-righteous. And that's the thing that bothered me most about this movie. I disagree with that. I, I never found this movie self-righteous. Really? Yeah. I think that the way the characters behave and talk to each other and like their attitudes and some of it's intentional. Like Barry Pepper is like kind of a self-righteous prick. Right. On purpose. But, that's his character. Yeah. The, and I don't even know if it's the characters that's the issue. It's the movie. It's a whole. It's it's like it's putting this importance on things that I don't feel are that important, like New York, like 9-11, like Doyle, the dog. Like, what is the purpose of like that? And like, why is that so pivotal? Why do we open on him rescuing that dog? Like, why is why are all these things like emphasized so much? And it's this like false sense of importance that I feel like this movie is trying to portray. But why is it like it's his life? Like that's like that's just sort of how we're getting to know Monty. Like he's that's the that's why Doyle's in his life, and this is like how he lit. Yeah, you know, it's like getting to know that character. And I think that character is relatively shallow 
and would be very, very uninteresting had it not been for uh, Edward Norton. But we can get to performances in a bit. Yeah, I think there's a lot to unpack there. Um, so how do you guys feel about this, how this story plays out? And everything just from like the structure of the story to the exposition that's kind of scattered throughout. I think there's some awkward moments there where like, they're trying to give us some ideas about who these characters are. And it's either like this, this conversation, awkward conversation between Barry Pepper and Philip Seymour Hoffman about nine 11, or honestly, the, the monologue that Edward Norton has kind of comes right out and says everything that we're supposed to learn about our character in this like five minute scene. That's interesting and well-performed, but is that sort of cheap to do it that way? But really my question is story structure, all the surrounding elements of that. How do you guys feel about how this is executed? I mean, I, I get the clunkiness you're talking about, but to me, this is a complete mood piece and it works on that level and very few films do. So, you know, Ed Norton's monologue, um, the, the, the references to nine 11, all that stuff. Although you can't maybe like logically piece it all together there's something about this movie that just makes you feel a certain way that makes you feel a post nine 11 way. If that's a, if that's a yeah. mood, is that, is that a mood you can it was put then. in? Yeah. You know I what mean, I mean? Like if it, it if, it get, if, sure, if anything sure. could take you back to that, like this does it. And it's just kind of amazing to me, um, how well it does that. And I don't know, Chapin, like, I'm, I'm curious to hear what you thought, if you had these same issues as Lee, or if you kind of let the movie take over and, and made, just sort of took in its tone and, and mood and feel. Yeah, I mean, I'm willing to give it the benefit of the doubt. I mean, it didn't bother me too much that, you know, New York and Monty and all, like, I, here, here's what I'll say. This, like, like, to say the, to give it the best sort of um, side of it, like, I think New York is a very unique place. And in many ways, you could say that, like, this little gathering of white guys, you know, could really only exist in New York. Like, they all went to this, you know, fancy prep school, and Monsi got a scholarship, and one maybe would suggest that Barry Pepper got a scholarship. I don't know. They grew up in the same sort of poor Irish part of, you know, Brooklyn, and they're proud of where they came from. And they met Philip Seymour Hoffman, who, you know, seem, well, is from that kind of background. And, um, natural went there because she's, um, you know, got a scholarship and, um, you know, all those things, uh, while I'm sure exists everywhere, just feel very New York, like all these culture, this melting pot of people. And, you know, it's very much a part of Monty's life. He's, you know, he's, he's doing business with Russians. His, his backup is Ukrainian. You know, he's, he's married to a poor, you know, he's, his, 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 girlfriend his partner is a is puerto rican you know his he's very into his irish culture the um you know like the, these things like they're like you know being from portland out here like and 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 like we don't have a lot of that we don't have like a lot of identities surrounded around your background everybody is just kind of feels more new than that you know and um that stuff just feels very new york to me and i think you can expand on that. And then, and then when the city is attacked in this way, like I think it brings people together. I think it brought New York together in a really 
nice way. I mean, obviously there was a lot of violence and two wars fought over it. Let's not forget that. But, but like, you know, this, this city that feels very divided, like the fuck you speech, the, the, like everybody is, you know, mad at each other and, and, and it, the, the sort of very territorial and, um, tribal kind of nature of, of the city there's this spirit bringing people together. And I think ultimately that might be what the movie is about. Like these got these people come together for Monty ultimately. Um, and I'm willing to give the film that benefit of doubt. I, I, I think they're just there in a movie that I guess like a lot of people, a lot of like big critics said is like one of the best movies of the decade. And I, I think this is a great movie. I just think there are some just like fatal flaws in this movie that keep it from being a masterpiece. Um, but kind of like we said about Nope last week, Jeremy, like this is just such an interesting movie. And I think, you know, where we gave credit last week to Jordan Peele uh, for his writing. I mean, I think this is a marvelously directed movie. I mean, if you can leave out some really bad casting in some places and a couple of horrible scenes, like, I think Spike Lee makes a very interesting movie out of what seems like a a, 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 a substantive, but rather, you know, not necessarily a particularly interesting story. All right. So I'd like to hear your fatal flaws, Chapin, because I have a feeling that we're all going to be kind of on the same page with some of these. Um, and I think that there's um, a lot to talk about with some of them. I have, I have one I'd like to bring up, if that's okay. Go for it. And I, I wouldn't call it a fatal flaw, but I also think this one could be interesting conversation between us. But what did you think uh, of the friendships between those three guys and whether you thought it was believable or if there was something about those friendships you could relate to or not relate to? Um, I did write down that I didn't totally buy the friendships. Yeah. Um, there's there, I think what happened, <laughs> though is that there is supposed to be there's supposed to be a disconnect among the three of them. Right. Like there's you're you're supposed to see that like they aren't as close as they've been in the past, but they're for some reason that just reads as these guys aren't friends. Oddly, while I didn't like the scene, I thought the the conversation between Barry Pepper and Philip Seymour Hoffman at Pepper's house was like one of the few scenes where you were just like, these guys are just kind of talking and like, they seem to have not missed a beat. They don't see each other maybe that often, but like he comes over, they say, hello, they have a drink, they talk, they talk about nine 11, they talk about what's happening, what to do. And it felt very natural. And that was one of the few scenes where I shouldn't have used the first take though. Like shoot that again, maybe a couple (laughs) times and then shoot some coverage. I was like, this is why these guys are friends. But I'm I'm with you, Jeremy. I think that there's a there's a disconnect here where I was like, I don't know, like you're forcing this, like they they say so many times, like, you're my best friend since we were little, you're my best friend, you're you know, we're friends forever, you're my best friend. And I'm like, if you have to say it that many times, there's a problem. We should just know. But isn't that By the way, I, I love you guys. You're you're yeah. my best friends. Yeah. It's like the podcast holds you guys together, you know. You guys have been friends since you were little. Yeah. Um, no, but I mean, isn't aren't friendships some some friendships like that? Like you know, it's like I don't know. As I get older, I realize that like uh, those kind of friendships are not so much about what you have in common with each other or your shared interests, but like your history together. And yeah, but it's is that more what, about. 
reveal is that do you feel that in this movie I, I think the sense that those guys are not very close anymore is uh intentional yeah unfortunately i think that uh, that didn't i know that was the point i don't think it handled well, I think that you you, you well. want them to be good friends you want to see them familiar with each other and you know it's, they it's tricky they're, they're they're getting together in like such a dire situation like all right, well they're not gonna put, be like hey let's you know let's party like we used to like it's but it's, also let's a, put it put it this way like as a screenwriter is it more interesting that to take these these three guys who used to be really close and then put them in this situation and see how they react or is it more interesting to have these guys still be very close and then have those scenes of just, you know, oh, we're going to do this one last time. We're going to like, I, I, I kind of find this more interesting because they don't really know how to react a because of the circumstance and B because they haven't really been that close to that uh, maybe, recently. If they're all really close and hang out all the time, it makes a whole lot more sense to me why Monty would want to spend his last night with them. Like, yeah, but maybe Does Monty is a little to? bit. Like, maybe Monty's a little bit of a loner, like a, a sort of sad. Like, like yeah, he has his dad. Could have just spent the night with Rosario Dawson. That's what she wanted. Like, true. <laughs> he seemed to actually like her. Well, he thought he. Well, I guess he had to go to find he out had the to truth. Find, yeah. He had to find out the truth. So there's that. Um, uh, yeah, Chapin. What else you got on uh, some flaws here? I mean. Rosario Dawson. Okay, uh, so we just work backwards in performances. And well, this was her. this was peak uh, Rosario Dawson when she was like in everything, and we were just like, "Why is she in everything?" So let, let me. Just, I don't know if that was quite yet. Was it uh, at this point? Well, maybe um, this started. Maybe this started it off. I'll just say she's like, so I, bad in this. One thing this I is the worst before, I've ever before seen. Before we get into that, before we get into that, the one thing I did notice about uh, this round of watching things, and I did watch this movie like six months ago and so um i'm surprised i didn't miss it i missed it this time but there's a lot of emphasis on looks like the sort of physical appearance of people yeah like they're like obsessed with the way monty looks and how he's going to go into prison and like you know i mean edward norton's a good looking guy obviously he's a movie star but he is he does play the like normal dude to brad pitt's tyler durden right like he's not right. like a <laughs> stunning yeah. man um and uh, you know, they talk a lot about how Philip Seymour Hoffman looks and his, his like his like, you know, the rating that Barry Pepper's character gets, gets him. And then they talk a lot about natural and, and the way she looks like, like talk about her tits and like her ass and the way Barry Pepper like looks at her all the time. And in that sense, like she works like she's gorgeous and like incredible looking and has a great body and blah, blah, blah. But that aside, she is just so bad. And the problem is, is she's working opposite Edward Norton most of the time. Who's so good. Yeah. This is so effortless. And she, she it's just reminded me of that wooden line deliveries from her. She reminded so me of the kid from, um, from, uh, Oh God, why am I forgetting the name of it? The link late, the, the like link later's famous. Movie. Uh, no, the, the older one, um, the high school movie. Oh, Days and Confused. Days, Days and, and confused. confused. That kid who kept going, he, he keeps going, you know, the, the sort of the main character who obviously can't act and has never been anything ever again. 
like that's who he re- she reminded of. He's like she's like having this conversation about her like the love of her life going away, and essentially Barry Pepper is accusing her of like stealing, taking his money, and being complicit in his crimes. And she's like, oh, oh God, ah, Frank, you know, Frank, ah, oh, what are you saying, Frank? And like, oh, that scene is so bad. She just like sucks the energy out of those scenes and jesus it's kind of funny this movie has exquisitely bad casting in two cases like 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 historically bad casting in two cases and then amazing casting in two cases and i would almost argue three cases so what's the uh, what's what's the the other other bad one yeah well i mean R.I.P. But Tony Saragusa was yeah. Not, he's terrible. He's, he's terrible. So, and he's why, not an actor. Why and he was would you cast him? Do an accent and like give him like, a it Ukrainian was, accent. Like, it's like what the fuck are you thinking? Yeah. <laughs> it was so bad. So bad, and it's like every, but his like, role is small enough that it didn't bother me as much as Rosario. But Dawson's it's a pivotal role. It, it, no, pivotal but it's a bit, It's not like maybe I I would get him if he was like the bouncer or something for one scene or whatever. If you owed him a favor, but like right. they put him in a a, a very important role uh, as a non actor doing an accent, uh, and it showed. Yeah, uh, it was uh, bad. Rocking Actually, I would the biggest even... flask I've ever seen. Like, what? What's the point of that flask? You can't hide that anywhere. <laughs> um, no. Before we get into the three, wait, what's three the third? Leads, but... Isn't there one more? No, there I said he's saying two, two, maybe three, really good bad. casting. But now I'm assuming with those, you mean the three lead actors, Norton, Pepper, and yeah, I'd and almost Kaufman, put Brian but... Cox in there too. He was so good. Oh, he's Every really time good. He commands the screen. Uh, before we get into those guys, I'm I'm curious. I think this one might fall somewhere down the middle. I'm curious what you guys thought of Anna Paquin here. Not just her performance, but her role in this movie. Oh, I like her a lot. Yeah, she's, I think she's I think it, I think she's an important. I don't know, like if you're going to talk about generations and that kind of connection back to New York, like those type of kids, you know, roughly our generation. Yeah, I guess. Yeah, yeah. I just um, found that storyline to be yeah, a little what, bit of another movie. Like, what's it doing in here? No idea. Like, why does it matter? That like he, Philip Seymour Hoffman has this like crisis of conscience conscience like it just seems so out of place hmm. um all right so Brian Cox Philip Seymour Hoffman Barry Pepper and Edward Norton um i think they're all good i mean there's some overacting here um i think from Pepper and and from Norton at times but yeah, i don't think so at the mo- for the most part i think it works this made this made me wonder why Barry Pepper hasn't become a bigger Movie well, star. he was like late '90s to I know, but he sort of two thousands disappeared. disappeared. He's yeah. really good, and then obviously Philip Seymour Hoffman is just he doesn't he doesn't strike a wrong note. But I don't think Norton overacts in this. There's some moments that he does. I think. I mean, I are I mean, I think the the fuck you monologue is very good, but you could argue he's he's hamming it up a little bit there too. I don't know. I just, I think without Norton, this character of Monty Brogan is not that, is not that interesting, does not have that much depth. I agree. And oh, for sure. Like he, like what he, he does he best adds though. to had so much layers to something that's not even on the page. Well, that's, and that's what's there, but that's more to me where he succeeds most is in the quieter moments, the moments where he's not saying much. Like that moment at the beginning after that opening scene where he finds the dog, 
and he's just sitting on the bench and the guy comes to try to get something from him. There's not, there's, it's a very understated performance in that scene. He's basically like, I don't have anything for you. Go away, go away, go away. You don't have to hear this whole speech about what happened. There's no exposition. It's all just like this character in his thoughts trying to start this last day, first thing in the morning with some peace. Yeah. And he gets interrupted by his past, which I don't know if you guys caught too, which I thought was a nice little touch that you, in the flashback when he meets Naturel, you see this guy. What is his name? I wrote it down. Um, you see Simon, the guy that tries to buy from him in the first scene. You uh, see oh, him really? by that playground totally sober. Oh, weird. And it's a nice little touch. It's just like you can see this is the damage that Monty has done. Um, you know, this is not a this didn't just hurt him. And, you know, there's nothing that calls attention to it. It just kind of holds on the shot with him in it. Um and I thought that was a nice little touch, but it's these quiet moments, you know, everybody trying to give him a speech, his dad, Barry Pepper, Rosario Dawson, all telling him what you need to do, how you need to spend your night. And he kind of just like absorbs it all and takes it in. He gets frustrated. He pushes back, but it's never, there's never the big blow up scene with anybody else. He saves that for the mirror. And I loved that stuff. I thought that was great. Yeah, um, let's talk about uh, Hoffman here. <laughs> I mean, I again, I don't think he has a ton to work with, but he definitely he has the absolute least to work with among those. But three. he's still just fascinating. Every time he get comes on screen, yeah. I just want to watch him. Yeah, he should he's do so... another movie. Oh, man, what a tragedy! But um, I mean, he oddly like this is another issue I sort of had is that like you have these big performances with Pepper and um, you know, the big moments with Norton in the, in the monologue and stuff. And then you have just Hoffman so quiet and like seems out of place. And it brings you back to like, why are these guys friends? And like, he seems like an odd man out, but it's like Norton and hot, like Monty and Jacob are friends. Monty and Frank were friends, but like, were they all? How often did all three of those guys hang out? Well, not a lot. I don't. That's the point. I guess, but it's just it feels it. I, that just comes back to Jeremy's question um, about whether or not you buy the friendships. But anyway, yeah, Hoffman is great. Yeah, I mean, like his role. Like, what is the function of his role in this movie? Like, he doesn't offer Monty a lot. He and Monty don't really have like a. Conversation to take Doyle, the most important dog dog, in the history of movies. Yeah, if it wasn't for the dog at the end, I totally like that's that's the thing they try to use to sort of connect it together. And I kind of hate having this conversation because, like, everything we're saying, you know, obviously we're correct, and there's these flaws and this and that. But I, I'd, I'd watch this movie again right now i there's something about it that just I, I, was so on that unique front. I, and intriguing and hit the right notes tonally but like yeah all these problems exist for sure in terms of the movie making here like this is great i think it's the so well made and the, just the so well directed of everything and norton I, I, and hoffman you know it's i kind of don't care about the story because i don't totally care about a lot of the characters you know you get behind monty you you like him you kind of sympathize with him yeah but... i like how he picked up uh natural when she was like 16 in like, yeah. the park yeah, there's, there's a lot of underage uh, <laughs> yeah. yeah i was like stuff that was the scene here. i was like oh 
Um, so there's there's so much good stuff in this, but I I don't I don't care about a lot of what happens here. And again, I know you guys don't feel this way, but I found this I found it to, this movie to be self righteous, which bothers me. Um, and then we come to the end, and I think we've got to talk about that the final scene where uh, Brian Cox narrates what he would like Monty to do. Um, I used to hate that scene for some reason. Really? Alternative. Oh, I yeah, liked you, it a lot. Oh, I, lo- I loved it this time around. But really? for some reason, the last time I watched it, it like bothered me that there was this alternative reality that he could... I, this time, I was like, oh, what a like what a brilliant move to, oh my God. to, to talk about... Like you don't you hated it? I hated it. I yeah. hate it. It's oh. so it's way too long. It never ends. Then you have this oh, bad old people makeup. Yeah, like that. I, that is weird. And then, and then there's like the the VO is kind of like matching what he said. And this is awkwardly. this is my point about like the self righteousness. And then it's like he's like, we'll stop in some place and we'll get a drink. I haven't had a drink in in years, but I'll have one with my boy. I like and I then, like that. I like and that. And then and then later he's just like, you sit them all down and you tell them your story. Yeah, what's wrong with that? Yeah, yeah, you're it's just self-righteous. You're, you're just talking what do you about mean what self-righteous. Happened? How's it self-righteous? It's yeah. it's adding it's creating the, this like importance. Like Monty's life is not important. Like no, who cares? Like, who it's gives not a shit? about it's not about creating an important it's creating an alternative reality to like what I think, pe- I think they what could he's do. saying is his life would be important. It's more like like what could have you had what could you have had? Not so much like you know, I don't think they're going to run away and do... Like, I don't think that was ever on the table, but, like, this is what you could have had. You could have had this great life with kids and grandchildren and and Rosario Dawson, if she would have been with him, you know, in a little attic somewhere, you know, who knows. But, like, it's the lo- the life he's lost. Although, again, like, seven years is not... It's not that long. I mean, it's a long time, and but yeah. Well, like, if he if he were to make that a realistic, like well, what you what you could have done, because now he's not a drug dealer anymore, and as he said, he has no skills. So it really been, would have been like, oh, you rent a trailer and then you go yeah. and you stay there, and then hopefully yeah. the you thing, hide. Like, you hide from police long enough. Yeah, and if enough time passes, you send for natural. So what's enough time? Like like three years or something? Like how long is he out of? How long is a white guy on a drug charge out of prison for good behavior on a seven-year sentence? Like three, probably. So well, now we're getting into like something that's not even existing in the world of the movie. I know, we're, but you know, this movie wants to speculate at the end, so I'm going to speculate what what the real alternative should have been. I I just found if you want to do that, make it at least half as long as that was. Oh come on! I like that too. I, I liked a lot. it. I think I liked it this again. Time like around. these things, these things. Evidently, that the the fuck you rant is is in the book. I don't know if this particular um, uh, thing is or not, but I, I like that. It like again. I think it's really it it takes what the the earlier parts of the movie does for New York and expands it to the country. You know, like so we're I, we're we're talking about nine eleven. Like everybody, the sort of feeling that we're like we're all together and we're all like, we're free to travel and like, we're free to this country belongs to all of us and we can kind of go where we want. And, and you can go to some place that isn't the center of the world, like New York city. It's, it's a town that nobody really cares about and you can have a life there and you can have a meaningful life there with children and grandchildren and you can live a, a life that fuels you. But, but, but 
All right. Monty, so, I mean, the, the implication there, I think, is also that Monty chose an easy way out. You know, he's a smart guy. He, you know, got into trouble at, at high school and then and then it never ended. You know, he, he just kind of always took the easy way out and, you know, status and, like, you know, I, what kind of drug dealer is Monty? He, like, sells to the crackheads on the street, but he also has yeah. a, a, a Central Russian Park tie. West, a, yeah. a, you know, apartment that has kilos in his couch. Like, what's, what kind <laughs> of drug dealer is this guy? But whatever. <laughs> um, you know, like, like you... These are like I think, and 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 if we're gonna try to cast like explain some of Philip Seymour Hoffman and maybe even Barry Pepper's decisions, like you know, you're kind of the result of the decisions you make, right? Like, um, uh, J- Jake is faced with this fucking his student, and you know, makes a pretty bad error, but especially in 2002, perhaps not quite as a big a deal as it would be today. Like, <laughs> yeah. you know, yeah, he doesn't have sex with her. Um, and there's some hint at the future that Monty or that, um, Doyle might bring, bring Jake some pussy at the end of the day. <laughs> like, what <laughs> yeah. was that about? Some of, of age. Yeah. Of age pussy at the end of the day, but like, you know, like this is these are the decisions we make, and and because of them, you know, we live this life. And I think there's this sense with, especially with people in New York, like who you know people go there or they grow up there, and and you know, there's easy money. Like Barry Pepper is kind of doing that. He's he's in this job where he's you know leveraging a lot of money and and taking big risks. And you know, what are the consequences of that? And um. Well, I don't know. We I, find that out. I want to watch the movie in 2009 where yeah, Barry, with him. Yeah. Barry Pepper stars. <laughs> his you know? job. Right. So I want to backtrack because I, I think it's interesting that you asked Chapin whether or not that final scene is in the book. Um, written by David Benehoff, by the way, for Game of Thrones fans. Um, Co-creator. I like the end of this movie on paper. I like the idea and I... And I don't dislike the monologue. I guess my issue is its execution. Like, it again, another part of this movie that feels like you're in a little bit of a different movie. I get that maybe you got to change the aesthetic a little bit as you leave New York, but I don't know. The, the like, montage aspect of it I don't think works that well in trying to relay that point I almost would have just been just as satisfied as you know Brian Cox outlining this plan to his son while they're sitting down at the bar you know like you know instead of you know let's let's just drive let's just get out of here start a new life like in in that regard and letting this letting you see these two really great actors act that that possibility out instead of showing us this scene with an overlapping VO and just these little montage-esque scenes with no dialogue or anything, or like one line here, one line there. I uh, know it's a dream. I, you got to see the images. Yeah. I love that. A, I have those really. fantasies too. Like, that's like, the whole thing. You just, you just dis, I, I have that, how I have that fantasy all the time. Just like disconnecting and like driving into the middle of the country and like being anonymous and you know, like escaping our responsibilities. And I mean, obviously I would never do that, but it's a it's a fantasy. It's not well, real. Now we know it's where a, to look for Chapin when he disappears. Yeah, the <laughs> I guess. I mean, desert. I didn't like it this time around. It's I have not always felt that way. I've always 
not been sure how I felt about that final scene. I've kind of gone back and forth on it. This time around, I really didn't like it. Um, but overall, guys, like Jeremy, I, I think you, I've got it. I got, I got, I got one got more question, pinpointed. though. Yeah. But do you think there's there's something, some some part of this movie that the way it presents itself, the tone of it, the post 9-11 niche of it, that it knows that, or, or maybe even the screenwriters and the director know how to connect the dots, but more of it's just like, this is important. We're talking about important things. We're talking about, you know, America and uh, how how we're going to recover from this. You You figure out how it all relates. I want you to think, think about it. I think there's a little bit of that. I also think that Spike Lee's intention was to offer up something for everybody in a certain way. And like, maybe he's got all the dots connected, but it's not all that important that, like you said, it's not all that important that we connect every single dot. Well, I think it makes it forces you to like, try to think about connecting those dots. It wants you to like exercise that part of you. Also like the fact that Spike Lee directed it, uh, being like such a famous New Yorker, clearly he, he has feelings about what happened after on 9-11 and, and how it affected his city and affected the uh, the different people within that city. And, like, he was definitely te- – like, it, you can't ignore the fact that he's telling this story and he, he, he definitely is trying to show us something. And it's hard not to try to figure that out. So the question, though, is does he use – the does he use the story as a vehicle to showcase a post 9-11 New York or is it the other way around does he utilize well, a post 9-11 New York as a vehicle to showcase or to tell this story I, and I, I think it's the theory. I think it's the former I have an alternate theory um just to add a little negative aspect to what sort of uh, negative spin of what Jeremy said. I, this movie... Oh, here's, here comes Chapin with this, uh, 9-11 was an inside job. Everybody knows that. Um, the, you know, the, 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 the movie, the book came out in 2001 and the movie came out in 2002. So the script, the optioning of the book, the script and the movie coming out happened in like 18 months. I think that's pretty fast for a movie of this kind of idea, you know, the, the ideas in this movie. Um, and look, like, there's a lot of great things that come out of it, but I think some of the things we've learned from kind of like the Clint movies and the those movies we've talked about that have like sort of turned around really fast is that you make the city, you know, like the things are not as well thought out as maybe you would have liked. And that doesn't mean like, the concept of combining these things doesn't work. It just means that they may not have been sort of worked together quite in, in quite as much sort of symmetry as they, maybe they would have had they taken a little bit more time with the movie. Um, I think that's fair. You know, I, for sure. I think yeah, like... I also, you have to wonder, because Ben Hoff wrote I, the I screenplay like, too, you, so I have to wonder if that, like, they were in... Com- Spike and Ben Hoff were in conversations about this movie... Maybe even before the book was done, you know, it's like I don't know what well, their Toby relationship McGuire is. Toby option, Maguire but... optioned the book, wanting to play Monty, and he couldn't because of Spider Man. Um, so he's oh, a that's... producer on this. 
Oh, we oh, all imagine how there. bad that movie would have been. But but if you think about like this movie came out Christmas 2002, and 9/11 happened September 2001. So, you know, like they were making th- making changes on the fly. Yeah. Yeah, that's a fast turnaround, especially for what I think is one of you know everything we've talked about aside. One of Spike Lee's like best looking and best directed movies yeah i'd like to talk about that a little bit i think again i think this is just another more example of how good of a director he is how interesting a director he is i think like just the pure emotion that he dumps in this movie jeremy you obviously really responded to and so did i um you know the logic of some of this stuff i don't think he's that kind of filmmaker really i don't think he you know cares too much about the stuff we've been arguing about, um, like as long as the mo- emotion is there, as Tarantino said, you know, you kind of build from there. And I think he definitely get, brings that. Um, I don't, I don't know if I would call this one of the best movies of the decade. Again, I don't know why you, I know she was in, he's got game. He got game. Well, that's what I was about to ask. Like, do you think Spike I, wh- Lee thinks Rosario Dawson was good in this? I don't or know. Or is he like I, trying you, to you edit or what could it have been worse? And did he cut around <laughs> the performance? Well, one would, one would, one would think she was, it was his idea to put her in here. Cause she's in, he got game. I, yeah, that's what I assume is that, are those the only two they've done? I feel like they've worked together even more than that, but I could be wrong. Oh, I'm sure they've worked together more than that. Uh, I they did. He I got game was the first one they did. Um, uh, I, I feel like there's some, there's some smaller spike. <laughs> that uh she's been in i don't see anything here this is looks like the second one that they were in that she was in of his and then maybe not again hmm. well so at least he learned his lesson um all right uh do you guys want to move on to uh what i think is probably the most important aspect of this podcast who's who who's who in this movie now naturally we would want to say you know one of us is monty one is Frank and one is Jake, but you know we do have other characters in this movie. No, that's 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 it's got to be those three. I'm nobody could out. nobody could be like Brian Cox or something. No. All right, so it's got to be those three. So do you guys yeah. have any thoughts to open us up? Oh, those are tough. Those are tough ones to pinpoint. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I guess some, one of us just has to go, and we just fight it, fight over it. Yeah. Yeah. And. uh and, and and go from there. Um, all right. Do you want me to go first? Yeah, go yeah. for it. What do you think? Um, uh, all right, Chapin. Uh, you're gonna be. Uh, hmm. Thinking, thinking. All right. So, I, I what I'm torn between is: am I am I Monty or am I Barry Pepper's character? What's his name? Um, Frank, no, Frank. you're. I think, I think, I have. There's cases to be made for a couple other alternatives, but I think Jeremy, you're Monty. I think I'm Frank, and I think Chapin's Jacob. What? Why? I, I think. Why I think am Ch- I Jacob? I think Ch- I was definitely gonna say Ch- Chapin's Jacob, but I was torn between whether you or me are were Monty. Um. Yeah, I think Jeremy, you're Monty. I think you're a little bit more. Um. Level-headed. I'm very level-headed. But, <laughs> I'm level-headed. But I can also, I can also uh, fly off the handle a little bit. So I think, 
that puts me uh so, so you're not level-headed comfortably comfortably <laughs> in the frank category um I can't, at least, as long as i'm quint i guess i'll take fucking jacob but all right but here's the thing is that like is is chapin jacob because we're monty and frank or is there something that what's the connection uh he likes underage girls well i was yeah. thinking like currently in his like it's not so much the underage piece but just like the the stream of of women that the apps have brought him is <laughs> but jake's <laughs> like, not like he like he probably uh, yeah, it's, he it's get it. i would it's call true. it a river but not a stream <laughs> but he also but uh chapin has a dog that i'm sure helps get helps him get the women get, get some women yeah and um, that's, his, that's his profile pick and that's like doyle those. Yeah, I, all right. Well, I'm good with that. We're good. Here's the what question, Chapin, though: Is that say? which one of us, which one of us would, you know, end up falling into selling drugs? Yeah, well, Jeremy, right now. That's all. Well, yeah, right, but I don't I, think, I think it would be. I think I could. I could see myself like if it starts to be profitable and like get carried away with that. Yeah. Remember, Actually, you know what? That's Jeremy a good point because Jeremy. Yeah, he always he has like a lot of times. I mean, this has been happening all our life. It's like yeah. there's like very short spurts of like. This yeah. is what we're doing now. Hey, yeah. just had yeah. this idea. This is what we're gonna do. Yeah. And I, if if selling heroin like snuck in there somehow, <laughs> I can oh, see him being like, she, she, she. Isaiah Whitlock Jr. That's so. How many uh, Spike Lee movies has he done? Just two. She. Okay. What's the other one he's in? Five Are you blood. kidding? The five blood. bloods. Oh right! <laughs> when he jumps on the grenade. <laughs> <laughs> this is the funniest scene in oh, movie that history. Ill-advised movie. <laughs> funniest unintentional. All right, so we're settled on Jeremy is Monty. I'm Frank. Chapin is I need Jacob. A win. I need. A, I need a win soon. Okay, well, let's see if you can win this because I had an idea that we can close out some podcasts with. Um, so I'm challenging you guys to this. All right. All right. There can only be one winner, so we're going to go around. Um, <laughs> starting with um, Jeremy, I'm going to I'm going to say you can start. Yeah. So starting with a, an actor in this movie, yeah. you're going to start around a cinema sequence. All right. Oh God. Okay. Here we go. So your answer, if you so if you say somebody and Chapin, you give a movie, you have to have the next answer. So you can't just pick somebody obscure to to knock me out. So I can't just say Tony Serkis. Exactly. You have then, to know the next answer. And then the game's over. Yeah. So you have to know the next answer. And then we're in it's this is rapid fire. You got to be quick. Um, okay. I, I, I kind of forget how to play the game, but why don't you two start so, so I remember. Jeremy's going to, no, because you're going to go next. Jeremy's going to name an actor. You name another movie with that actor. Then uh-huh. I name another actor in that movie. And got we just it. keep going around and around. Got it. All right. All right. I'll yep. start. Uh, Anna Paquin. X-Men. Michael Fassbender. Is that the same X Men? That's a good no. question. No, no they're no. in. Which one's no, Anna Paquin? That's a different one. Oh, she's not in that one. You already maybe lost, they're right? maybe they're in one, but you didn't. All right, you well, gotta we got to confirm. Let's see. Well, she's you not in the. I said the original X Men. Let's start again. All right, then okay. I'm that out. was the no, 2000. No, no, I'm, I'm out. You guys are up now. 2000 X Men, and I'll look at it. I'll look at it, and there's no Michael Fassbender in that. No. All right, so I'm out. So I so. name another one from X Men. Yeah. Um, no, yep. no, because X Men's not was a wrong answer. So well, I, X- I'll say I'll say another uh, Anna Paquin movie, right? Okay, okay, sure. Yep. Yeah, we'll go with that. We'll um, 
All right, what do I want to do? I don't want to do the obvious. All right, well, I will. All right, almost famous. Philip Seymour Hoffman. Uh, can I go back to it? Uh, <laughs> the Big Lebowski. Tara Reid. Ooh. Ooh, yes. Uh, Tara Reid. Uh, American Pie. What? When, when she jerked that guy off <laughs> into the into the, the yeah. beer. <laughs> Stop stalling. Yeah, stop stalling. Um, uh, Jason Biggs. American Pie 2. <laughs> Sean William Scott. Um, uh, what? One. Damn it. All right. Yeah. Chapin, what else is he in? Amer- American Pie 3. No, he's American in the one. Give me something else. What's the one with Paul Rudd? Oh, role um, models? Yeah, role models. Yeah, role models. That's what I was trying to think of. Role All right, Chapin, there you go. There's, work. Work there's, your, there's your victory, Chapin. You got no, but I want to win the like who's who game. Okay, but I'm I mean, just saying, you know, you I won cinema Quint sequence. Quint, we all agreed I was Quint, right? Yeah, I think, I I, yeah we agreed you were okay. Quint. I'm going to keep score. So on on uh, cinema sequence over the course of the, the podcasts. Lee so was Chapin, out in two seconds. You got one. You went with X Men for Anna Paquin. What am I supposed to do with that? Patrick Stewart. I don't know. Uh, Patrick Stewart. Uh, yeah. Fucking uh, Hugh Jackman. Um, oh yeah, Hugh Jackman. Ian McKellen. Any of those famous people. Rebecca Romijn Stamos. <laughs> well, that's. Oh. Do you think? Do you think when uh, they went to <laughs> they went to Patrick Stewart, being like we're doing an X Men. Uh, uh, movie, and we'd like you to be, you know, one of the leads. And he goes, "Any nudity?" <laughs> yeah, nudity of that. They're like, uh, that? they're like Anna Paquin's in it, and, and so, so I, I can, well, I, well, I've I can seen con- everything. I can control, I can control movement in their and their thoughts. So, yeah. immediately their clothes fall they're off, cl- <laughs> and I've seen everything. It's just like of all the actors in the world that he found to play that part. That just was so perfect. All right. That's going to wrap it up for this edition of the Get Your Film Fix podcast. You can email us at getyourfilmfixpodcast at gmail.com. Yeah. I was going to say, since we have this new system of planning ahead a little bit, maybe we could give people the movie we're going to see and then they could try to see it as well along with us. So one of the next movies we're going to do is... um, I forget the name of it, but it's Pray. Ron Howard's new film. No. Prey and 13 Lives. 13 are the Lives. Next Avail- two that we have lined up. Available on Amazon. We're going to do Prey, uh, and then Jer- uh, Lee and I are going to rank all the Predator movies. <laughs> yeah. Jeremy probably won't be able to catch up on all those. No. Nor does he want to. No. <laughs> um, so, yeah, but you can check out two you know, movies, like, check both out streaming. Prey on Hulu or um, 13 Lives on Amazon.com. Prime. Yeah, Prime video. Um, Amazon.com. I tried to order the DVD. <laughs> email us at get your film fix podcast at gmail.com. Isn't it get and your film fix? The login is get your film fix at gmail.com. Yeah, but it's get your film fix podcast at gmail.com. Um, that's where you can email us. Thank you, Chapin. It was good to be back. Uh, and what else you got, guys? Anything? Were we saying uh, your farewell? hair looks blonder? Were you in the sun a lot? I was. I was on vacation for three months. Right, right. <laughs> now you're back at it. 
The old 20-hour work week. You should have said the piano for uh, Annabelle. Yeah, that would have been hard. Harvey Keitel. Harvey 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 Keitel. Harvey Harvey Weinstein produced it. Harvey (laughs) Keitel. Sam Neill. Holly Hunter. Holly Hunter. All right. That's it. Thank you. Thanks so much for listening, guys. Have a safe and blessed week. Blessed. (laughs) We blessing people now? You can't call. You can't write. You never look back. You make a new life for yourself, and you live it. You hear me? You live your life the way it should have been. And maybe, this is dangerous, but maybe after a couple of years, you send word to Naturel. <laughs>